1: Pastor Joe, who's from Philadelphia, he says, hey, well, you know, you're from Philly and we're thinking about, you know, planning a Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia, so why don't you pray about it and come to Philadelphia and plan an inner city ministry, uh, Calvary Chapel there, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you all set up and take care of the church and get you a building and sound system and chairs and, and uh, children's church stuff, and we'll throw in some crayons and stuff. And I'm like, ooh, the crayons. I mean, that really got... <laughs> those crayons, man, that got me. It was just like, ooh, crayons. And uh, because crayons is important in children's ministry. Parents say "Hey, man, You better have some crayons and a piece of paper, otherwise it's going on the wall. And uh, so, um, you know, and so he says, hey, why don't you pray about coming, coming to Philadelphia and starting the church? And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll pray about and everything like that. And And, uh, you know, I was enjoying the fellowship with them, you know. You know, I felt like I was one of the big boys. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out with big boys. (laughs) Big boys, cabin Chapel. Some of them had churches, 10, 15, 20,000 people. I'm like, yeah. I'm moving on up. (laughs) To the east side. (laughs) Deluxe apartment. Fish don't fry in the kitchen. <laughs> Where my people at? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all act like y'all don't watch the one-eyed demon. Oh, the TV is evil. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, man, uh, so the next day I came back to breakfast and, And then Pastor Joe goes, so what do you think about, you know, playing the church in Philly? And and I said, you know what? It was because of this verse. A prophet is not. I said, you know, Pastor Joe? I said, thank you for the offer. I said, but a prophet is without honor in his own country. I said, I don't think they're going to like me in Philly. And uh, I said, so I think I'm going to go to Raleigh, North Carolina, and start this church. And I am really, really glad I did. I absolutely thank you. Thank you. I love it here. I love it here. I love his church. I love what God is doing here. I'm so blessed here. I'm so blessed here. I'm so blessed here. And uh, and I honestly, uh, what blesses me the most of everything, uh, two things, uh, actually three things, um, four <laughs> things actually, no. But most of all, what blesses me about this church is Anybody can come to it. black folks, white folks, Indian folk. Anybody can come to this church and hear God's word. I need to hear y'all make some noise and clap your hands. Will you do that? Anybody can come to church. I'm so glad I did. and so glad I obeyed the Lord. And the best place to be is in the center of God's will. Y'all know that. And I could have been in Philadelphia and had a great church and whatever, blah, blah, whatever. But if God wasn't blessing it, then what does it matter? The Lord builds a house. And then when I got here, you know, I just started a church, and then we in four weeks we had forty. Five weeks we had forty people, and a year later we had 110 people, and two years later from that we had 300 people. And starting church was easy here, and the reason why it was easy was because God called me here, and God is the one who started this church. I still tell you today, God is the one who started this church, Pastor. I have nothing to do with. This church, this church, God started this church unless the Lord builds the house. If I had pastors call me and they're trying to labor and get this and get that. and I know People are not coming to our church and uh, so on and so forth. And I'm like, you know what? Because if the Lord isn't doing it. It can't be done. Somebody need to say amen. If God's not doing it, it can't be done. Conversely, if God is doing it, it can't be stopped. I know that's right. I know that's right. So Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. We got to move on. Look at verse 45. So when Jesus comes back to the area of Galilee, you're looking at verse 45, say amen. When Jesus comes back to the area of the Galilee, the Galileans received him. Notice, having seen. Keep in mind the Samaritans received him having heard his word. This is the basis of genuine faith. Having heard, not seen, Hebrews 11, 1, write it down. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Remember I told you that word substance is the word essence or underlying reality. Faith is the underlying reality of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith isn't something you make up. Faith isn't a blind leap into the light or a step into the dark. True biblical faith is built on something. True biblical faith has substance. It's not miracles or feeling. It's the word of God. Can somebody say amen? Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Second Corinthians five, seven, for we walk by faith and what? Not by sight or feeling. First John five, four. This is the victory that has, that, that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Verse 46 tells us Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee and not Capernaum, where the boy was sick, but Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Canaan of Galilee is known as the town of Nathanael. Notice Jesus does his first miracle in Nathaniel's hometown. There are seven recorded miracles in John. The healing of this boy is the second. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus is going to make the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame to walk, the dead to live again. Throughout Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he performs approximately 36 miracles. Some say 33, 36 uh, miracles. Look at verse 46. Tells us there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick, and the son was currently located in Capernaum, Jesus' hometown. And when the nobleman heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to Jesus and asked him to come and heal his son because his son is dying. Point number one, the resolve of his faith. Notice the nobleman. This word nobleman is the Greek word basilikos. It means belonging to the king or to a king. Kingly, royal, regal. This man was a prestigious man. He was a man of rank. He was a royal official. Many scholars believe he was an official connected to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the man who would execute John the Baptist. This man had everything going for him in the natural, but his child is sick and at the point of death. And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. And my parents, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter how much rank you have, how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have a black card or a gold card or an old card. It does not matter. When it comes to your children, you don't go to Herod and you don't go to the world. You go to Jesus, don't you? (laughs) You go to Jesus. I'm waiting while somebody clap your hands. You go to Jesus, the source of life. Am I right about it? The son is sick and dying. The doctors are helpless. The mother is weeping. The father is out of options and he needs a miracle. He's standing at the bedside of the boy. and He thinks, hmm, I heard about the water to wine miracle. I know that because government keeps track of various ruckus in Jerusalem Obviously, this Jesus is a miracle working man. This man of power and prestige and influence doesn't send a servant. He goes to Jesus himself, and he finds Jesus in Canaan of Galilee, which is an uphill journey from Capernaum. This man, by faith, travels uphill and has resolved to get to Jesus. This man comes to Jesus because he has a need. Listen, nothing wrong with going to Jesus if you have a need. Somebody say a better amen than that. Amen. Some people think, well, I'm not going to go to Jesus because I have a need. Listen, the time to go to Jesus is when you have a need. Jesus is the one that's telling you to come to him if you have a need. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. If you have a heavy burden, give it to him and he'll give you a light burden. Jesus is the one that's saying, come to him if you have a need. Christians are accused of leaning on Jesus as a religious crutch. Truth is, Everybody going to lean on something. Amen. Sex, some, drugs, rock and roll, Elvis. (laughs) I don't know why I said Elvis. Everybody going to lean on something. Why not lean on Jesus? Jesus says lean on me. Y'all think Bill Withers came up with that, don't you? (laughs) Bill Withers didn't come up with that. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Jesus said that. Lean on me. Oftentimes, God will allow things and arrange things so we have no other choice but to lean on him. God will allow you to get to the place where we realize that money and mommy and daddy and religion and rank and prestige cannot help you. No one can help you except Jesus. So he resolved to get to Jesus by faith. The life of faith comes in many colors and seasons. Sometimes it's joy. Are you listening? Sometimes it's sorrow. Sometimes it's victory and sometimes it's pain. But the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And that's why when trials and situations and heartache and sickness comes, we need to run to Jesus and experience his grace and power and supply. This man did the right thing. He turned to Jesus. Many times we're asking God to make us more like him, aren't we? We say, make me and mold me and shape me. Don't you realize the molding sometimes comes through trials? And the making sometimes comes through tribulations. Somebody need to be listening right here. And the making sometimes comes through tribulations and persecution. But understand for the Christians, trials can be a blessing in disguise if we allow them to have their perfect work in us. Isn't that what James 1, 2 through 4 tells us? My brethren or sisteren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How different this noble man's life is today. One day before, what a difference a day makes. One day he's influential and important and powerful in the king's court. The next day, he's on his knees before the king of kings asking for the life of his son. Point number two, the request of his faith. Look at verse 47. It tells us this man came to Jesus and implored him to come down. This word implored, if you're taking notes, is a word of desperation. It means to ask, to request, to entreat, to beg. This nobleman begs Jesus to do two things. Come to Capernaum and heal his son Jesus doesn't address the man in verse 48. He doesn't address the man's request. Jesus said, "Unless you people see a sign, you won't believe." And you might be thinking, that's not very sensitive of Jesus. This poor man is losing his boy, and Jesus rebukes him. Well, understand, the word "you" in the King James is plural. Look at verse uh, 48. Notice it says, "Unless you people, it's plural. It means you all, or speaking to a group. Jesus is saying to the multitude, their belief is not true belief and faith. Jesus is saying, you guys are sign seekers, wonder worshipers, not savior seekers. You're lovers of Jesus' power, not lovers of Jesus' person. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus when he was in the area last time. Now that Jesus has performed some miracles, they want a sideshow. Jesus is calling them out. Are y'all getting that? And telling them that this is not real biblical faith. Jesus would say, you can call it belief, but it's not the kind of belief that unites you to me. Actually, it's a kind of belief that dishonors me. Point number three, the response of his faith. Jesus essentially rebukes them for being sign seekers. The nobleman doesn't even comment on what Jesus said. Did you get that? This man is in no mood for theological conversation because like a father, a loving father, he's simply concerned about his son. I want you to look at verse 47. Look at verse 47. The nobleman said, Jesus, can you heal my son? And then look at verse 49. Sir, come down before my child dies. You see the difference in the language there? Jesus, can you heal my child, my son, uh, my, my son? And, and now Jesus, can you heal, can, come before my child dies? There's a sense of urgency there, like a father. Don't you get that? You feel the difference in the words? Jesus, my son. Jesus, my child is about to die. Can you help us? There's a sense of urgency there, and it's sweeter, and it's tender. And in verse 50, what does Jesus say? Go your way. Your son lives. I don't know the Lord's tone of voice here. Jesus said, go your way. Your son lives. But what I do know is this Gentile responded in faith and believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went his way believing. Question. When you ask Jesus for something, do you really believe it? I mean, really, do you really believe it? I want you to close your eyes right where you are. Just kind of close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you really believe in the power of prayer? Or do you just talk about it? Or is prayer some ethereal, nebulous, otherworldly thing that Christian people talk about but don't do? And they certainly don't believe. Do you really believe? Ask yourself. Do you really believe in the power of prayer? Open your eyes. The story is told of a small town in which there was no liquor stores. Evidently, however, a nightclub was built right on Main Street. Well, members of the church listening in the area were so disturbed that they conducted several all-night prayer meetings and asked the Lord to burn down the den of iniquity. Well, lightning struck the tavern a short time later, and it was completely destroyed by fire. The, The owner, knowing how much the church people prayed, sued the church for damages. His attorney claimed that their prayers had caused the loss. The congregation, on the other hand, hired a lawyer and fought the charges. After much deliberation, the judge declared, it's the opinion of the court that wherever the guilt may lie, the tavern keeper is the one who really believes in prayer, while the church members do not. Because they don't believe when they pray, Lord, get that tavern out of our neighborhood, that God actually did it. You believe it? If you really believe in prayer, then why aren't we praying? I don't get it. We talk about it. We are living in some trying times. Are y'all getting this? Or do you watch Good Morning America and go on about your business? People are blowing up themselves in order to blow up our cities. Teenage pregnancy and STDs and, 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 and people calling wrong right and right wrong. The Bible says these are signs of the end times. Are you listening? And what are we Christians doing? Well, uh, well you know, uh, well, that's the way people are. How about pray? We have a once a month prayer, prayer meeting here at Calvary Chapel. We have a hundred, 150 people show up. That's wonderful. I remember telling the pastor one time, we had 150 people showing up to prayer meeting. He's like, 150 people? That's a lot of people. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of people. I'm like, no, it isn't. Yeah, no, it isn't. No, it is not. Not for a church this size. Not for a church this size with people in it that say they believe in prayer. I didn't think I'd get that many amens right there, but that's all right. Y'all pray for me. Uh, uh-uh, no, No, it's not. Because if we say we believe in prayer, then we ought to be people who are praying. And when we come together, we should come together to pray. If anything this world needs right now is two things. They need prayer and this world needs Jesus. Those two things I do know. I don't know a lot. And I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And I'm not the brightest light bulb in the (laughs) lamp. Like what am I not? But I do know that this world. Needs Jesus, and we need to be praying. The fourth and final thing I'm let you the reward of His. Faith. Notice in verse 51 through 54, as the man was going home, his servants met him and said, Your son is alive. The father said, What time did it start getting better? They said, One o'clock or the seventh hour. And then the father knew there was no coincidence that Jesus said, Your son lives right at that time. And he believed in his whole household. Again, this is the second miracle that Jesus did. True faith takes God at his word. Can somebody say amen? And true faith is rewarded by Jesus. When Jesus told this man to go his way. His son lives. This man took Jesus at his word and believed him, and he never argued with Jesus. No, he didn't say, Jesus, no, that's not enough. You got to come with me. You got to come to my house. He simply believed the word of the Lord. The Bible tells us his whole household believed, and what did they believe? They believed he was the son of God. They believed he was the Messiah. Y'all listening? They believed that he was the savior of the world. They believed that he had the power to do what he said he would do. They believed he had the power to heal his son. He believed it so much that he stayed an extra day knowing that God's word was true and the miracle was performed. Where are you getting that from, Roddy? Verse 52. Look at it. It tells us right there. Then it tells us that he, they, they said to him in verse 52 when did it happen? He said, yesterday. That means he stayed another day because he believed. In the power of prayer, I wonder what would have happened if the man didn't believe in Jesus. What if the man would have said, Jesus, you got to come. I don't think you can heal my son who's in Capernaum from Galilee. What if he had said, Jesus, I don't believe you can do a long distance healing. I think the boy probably wouldn't have been healed. The Bible says without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And listen, I'm going to close right here. You got a pen, write down these four things. I want you to see how this noble man's progressed through his faith, how he progressed through his faith. Number one, we see crisis faith. He was about to lose his son and he had no other recourse but to turn to Jesus. Crisis faith. And then number two, we see confident faith. He believed the word and had peace in his heart. And again, he even stayed an extra day believing the word of Jesus. The servants told him the son got better yesterday. That's confident faith. Number three, confirmed faith. The servants confirmed what he had already believed to be true, Christ's faith, confident faith confirmed faith, and then finally contagious faith. He believed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of God, and he shared this with his whole family, and they believed. And when a father gets saved, it turns the whole family around. Am I right about it. When dad leads, his house follows. Joshua 24, 15, memory verse, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, hey, you got it. And the last thing I want you to note, is I said this in the second, this is the second miracle recorded in John. Both of them happened in Canaan and they have similarities. Both miracles were private, not public. The first miracle was at the wedding where Jesus turned water to wine. This was a family celebration. The second miracle was performed at a time of family devastation. And the lesson? Whether you're experiencing times of joy and gladness and celebration or times of sadness, Jesus is the man for the moment. Where my saints at? Jesus is the man for the moment. (laughs) Jesus can be counted on. Say amen. Jesus is the one to look to. Say amen. Amen. Jesus is the one to receive miracles from. Jesus' first miracle at the wedding revealed his power over time. His power over time. He has power over time. Did y'all get that? In other words, it took years to make good wine. Jesus made it in a nanosecond. In the second miracle, Jesus showed his power over space. The boy was sick in Capernaum. Jesus was in Cana. Jesus was able to do a long distance healing, and the boy was healed. And like the centurion knew, all Jesus needed to do was speak a word. Space, I'm coming in for a landing right here on the tarmac. Space, time, matter, and molecules cannot limit God's word. Am I right about it? Nothing can hinder God's word. So, what's your problem? What is your problem? Whatever your problem is, you take it to the Lord. Just like the nobleman did. Don't take it to the world. Take it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Speak to the Lord about it. Talk to God about it. Come to him. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And all God has to do is speak a word. He doesn't have to come down to answer your prayer. God can speak a word and take care of your situation. Why, say amen or something.
0: Amen. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 That's one 800 293 923 You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.
1: Let me-